So as I was saying, when December rolls around, I always find it interesting to spend a little time talking to our favorite guests and analysts about the year that was, where we started, where we ended in their particular area of expertise, everything that's happened in between, too, of course. Lisa Young from the University of Calgary is our go-to political scientist on this show. To be honest, it's pretty much the only one we use regularly. Uh, and Dr. Young has found some time to join us this morning. Uh, Lisa, thanks so much for being here. Always a pleasure to chat. Happy to be here. Okay, let's, um, first of all, thanks, as I say, uh, your analysis through the year, your help, your guidance, we do greatly appreciate it. And it's been, it's been quite a year. I mean, <laughs> it really has. <laughs> it always is in Alberta. So let's go back to about a year ago. And I think a lot of people still adjusting to the fact that Danielle Smith had won the leadership of the UCP. She hadn't won the premier. Well, I, she had. She was premier, uh, but she hadn't won a general election yet. But she was the leader of the UCP, which I think surprised a lot of people, Lisa. She barely won. It was as close as could be, but she won. And I don't think anybody expected that when that campaign started. Absolutely. It, uh, you know, this really was a case of someone who was an outsider in the party, from the party in some ways. Um, she'd certainly been around politics in Alberta for a long time as the former Wild Rose leader, but people thought that her time as an elected official was done. She'd been around the conservative movement, but she hadn't been part of the UCP. And so to come in from outside this way and then, you know, become party leader and immediately afterward premier was really pretty exceptional it was yeah and like i say close went down to the last ballot it was as close as close can be but she won then 23 we start with an election campaign right uh provincial election in the first few months of the year she wins again not overwhelming she lost a lot of the seats that uh, her government had going into the election but once again danielle smith silences some of the critics and doubters out there right yeah, I mean, if someone, you know, if we, I can't remember if we spoke at this time last year, but if we had, I, I think that I probably would have said that it was hard to know who was going to win the election, but, you know, maybe money would be on, on the NDP at that point. Uh, the UCP had suffered so much in the polls um, under Jason Kenney. Um, there, there was a sense that Danielle Smith was... Um, you know, in, in many ways, unacceptable as, as premier, that her ideas were outside the mainstream. And, and so really, you know, there was first of all the comeback of becoming party leader, but then this remarkable comeback of winning the election, close as it was. Yeah, absolutely. The comeback sort of sums it up. So, in the six or seven months since she was elected premier, and she did win the general election, I think the overarching thing to me is it played out exactly as she promised it would. She campaigned um, for the leadership, promising to fight with Ottawa more than Jason Kenney did. He didn't fight with Ottawa enough. She won. She won the election, promising to fight with Ottawa. And ever since, she has fought with Ottawa. We knew what we were getting. Albertans voted for it. And she hasn't broken that promise. She has delivered, right? That's been, to me, the central theme here. Yeah, I think, you know, if we look at the um, the, the issues that people who voted for the UCP can all agree on, um, I think the two would be an attachment to having low taxes. And that's something where, you know, certainly um, Smith has, has promised and, and delivered. 
and standing up for Alberta against Ottawa in conflict, particularly over uh, energy and environment issues. And, you know, there's lots of disagreement, I think, among people who, who supported the UCP on a whole bunch of other issues, but they can agree on this. And so this is helping Smith hold her electoral base of support together because she's emphasizing these issues that really are the the foundation for for support for the party yeah and 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 every, and you're right the the agreement is is universal there the the most strident ucp supporters uh, going after ottawa is a must it has to be done so on some of the particular issues, let's talk about the Canada Pension Plan, because that's been in the headlines um, so much in recent months. But, you know, if you go back decades, Daniel Smith has talked about wanting to make this an issue and wanting to have a conversation about that. Didn't take her long to get it started here. But this week looks to me, um, Lisa, like they've given up the fight. What's your take? It seemed like a loser from day one, but on we went until now. And I think they're sort of abandoning that ship, don't you? Well, you know, they're certainly at a minimum going to reset. Yeah. Um, they may be abandoning ship or looking for an off ramp. It's really not clear. I think it's still possible. They say that they're waiting for a number from Ottawa. And I think that it's possible that there's going to be an attempt to uh, build a sense of outrage about what that number is. <laughs> and if there's, if it comes at a time when there's enough sort of popular sentiment about Ottawa not treating Alberta fairly, there, there's maybe a hope that the pension plan can be attached to that sense of outrage, but I don't think that's a certainty by any stretch of the imagination. I, you know, they've pushed really hard to build public support for the idea, and it just hasn't come together in the way that they might have imagined. Yeah, I think they've picked up two or three points when it comes to polling. It's gone from like 20 to 23 to 25, somewhere in there. So let's call it five points if we're being generous, but still not enough, I think, to move the needle. So we'll see where that goes. The other big action item, um, when she won leadership, before she was even elected premier, she infamously said, uh, it's going to be a bumpy ride for 90 days when it comes to health care. We're going to get started. Well, we're a year out, and I'm sure you've seen the stories this week that things are as bad as they've ever been. Um, but we did get the total dismantling of AHS as promised and rebuilding it in a fashion that at this point still remains largely unseen. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like. But in terms of health care, uh, again, we, we sort of got what we were promised, but uh, I don't know if it's taken us anywhere. How do you think that file, which has been in the headlines so much as well, has gone for the UCP so far? I think that healthcare is is really a, an area of potential weakness for the Smith yeah. government. Um, early on, she came in with promises both to you know take actions that I think were were intended to um, rally her supporters from the leadership. You know, she she fired Dina Hinshaw. She um, uh, you know, uh, changed the, the uh, or rather got rid of the uh, board of directors uh, of uh, AHS. You know, she's made many changes along those lines since, you know, really putting her own stamp on that organization and now introducing a reorganization. Before the election, you know, we saw her with the administrator trying to say that she was coming in with practical common sense 
solutions to deal with the situation in the healthcare system and you know some actions were taken the heat went off a little bit i think because the seasons changed yep. um although certainly you know there there have been issues in in the system uh persistently since but here we are again in the uh, respiratory virus uh, season and things are looking really bad and and the healthcare system looks you know, increasingly um, unable to to cope for all sorts of reasons. And so I think as this gets bad, it's going to be very difficult for her to point at previous governments as being responsible. She said that she's going to fix it. And, and now the question is, okay, where is the fix? And how do the things that you're doing with AHS produce a fix, give us a coherent story about that. So I think that this is an area of weakness, even among her, her rural supporters, who in some ways are are feeling this the most intensely. Sure they are. Yeah, no question about it. And, and you're right, it hits home in a big way when you find yourself sitting in an ER waiting for 12, 14 hours. You immediately recognize that something isn't working the way that it's supposed to. Um, on the other side of the aisle, Lots of talk last week that Rachel Notley was about to announce her resignation as leader of the NDP. I think we all know that's coming, right, Lisa? It's just it's just a matter of timing, or am I out to lunch on that? Well, I think, you know, certainly that that's the perception um, that, that that's what's going to happen. You know, we've seen some behavior from her caucus that that I think supports the idea, you know, giving her a standing ovation at yep. the end of the legislative sitting. Um, certainly, you know, if you follow uh, some of uh, the MLAs on, on social media, they look like they might be trying to raise their profile in advance of a leadership uh, con- uh, contest. So I, I think that People in the party do expect that she is going to make that announcement at, at some point, probably fairly soon. Yeah, I would think so. Um, do you have time to hang around for a little bit? We'll take a quick break and then talk about politics at the federal level, or do you need to run? I can stay around. Yeah. Okay, I'll throw you on hold, and we will be back with Dr. Lisa Young right after this. We're chatting with Dr. Lisa Young from the University of Calgary about the year in politics. Dr. Young, thanks for hanging on over the break. I appreciate it. Um, let's jump to the federal level here. And I think, boy, it's been a tough year for Trudeau and his Liberal Party, right? Uh, the headline is uh, big, big issues for the Liberals, polls tanking, sort of drives everything else. But it's been a bad 2023 if you're a Liberal supporter, hasn't it? Absolutely. Uh, I think things are looking really grim for the Liberals uh, with the, the, you know, although we are far out from the next election. And it's sort of you take a look at some of the things that they've done. And to me, a lot of it comes across as flailing, trying to reverse course here. If they can, you take a look at the heating oil situation in the Maritimes and some of the other things they've done. You, You can you can smell the desperation in the air, Lisa. Yeah, it, this really seems like a, a government that is in, in many ways adrift and um, is not internally coherent. Um, you know, certainly on the carbon tax, this has been a signature policy for them. They aren't able to articulate the 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 reasons for the policy coherently they don't have a good story to tell about it i think in in some respects and then they've undermined themselves with this exemption for uh, yeah. uh heating oil in the maritimes and and that makes their their task of trying to defend the carbon tax 
so much more challenging. And and so, you know, in, in it, it really does seem as though they, they're lost. Um, and, and um, you know, certainly I think a lot of attention has to be focused right now within the party on the question of leadership. Yes. You know, um, th- there must be uh, some discussions that are going on about whether they are better off changing leaders before the next federal election. That's the issue. Trudeau says no. He wants to go in and he wants to win a fourth election, would, would put him in some pretty elite company. I think it's only been done twice before. I don't know if the party will give him that opportunity, but the question, Lisa, two questions when it comes to leadership. One, who would replace him? Where do, let's start there. If they decide that Trudeau isn't the guy next time we go to an election, who, who do you think might be? Well, you know, it, it's interesting. We've seen Mark Carney all of a sudden reappear. Um, you know, he's someone who, uh, you know, he's, he's led the Bank of Canada. He's got a very distinguished resume. He's got no experience in electoral politics. So, you know, he, he might be another Ignatiev in, in some ways. Um, but suddenly, you know, he is out and about and, and looking like a potential candidate. Um, there's talk about some uh, MPs, uh, Sean Fraser, Seamus O'Regan, um, as being potential leaders. Certainly both of them are strong communicators, which I think has been a bit of an issue. Um, so, you know, I, I think that there are some ambitions that are growing, um, but I think as well that anyone thinking of trying to displace Trudeau needs to accept the possibility that the the party's fortunes may yeah. not be reversible and and so they would be you know inheriting a, a situation like Kim Campbell exactly. back in uh, 1992 <laughs> leading to you know a disastrous outcome in the 93 election I, yeah that the Kim Campbell's name has been floating around so much recently because it, you can see the parallels very very clearly um, the other question when it comes to the Liberals and leadership and fortunes going into the next election is I don't think with Aaron O'Toole or Andrew Scheer, they really felt a lot of heat. They, they, they had their own issues to deal with, but I don't think they felt overly threatened by the Conservatives. I think it's a much different story this time around. Love Pierre Polyev or hate him, he's effective. I think he's done a lot to put pressure on the Liberals. Um, it's a different dynamic federally with him leading the Conservatives. It seems like a more real threat, doesn't it? Absolutely. And I, I was looking on the weekend at a, you know some polling data showing uh, liberal and, and conservative vote intention over time. And you can really see, looking back to this summer, that there's this moment where all of a sudden liberal fortunes just just crater and support for the conservatives goes up. And, you know, that I think is a combination of Polyev being able to really turn the housing issue into his signature issue um, and and get support from younger people, which the conservatives have struggled with over time. Um, and and uh, also his 
so-called likability campaign, you know, um, Mm -hmm. ads that the party put out uh, presenting him as a family man, as as sort of a softer, more gentle version of uh, Pierre Polyev than you might have seen if you've been following politics for a number of years at the federal level. Um, and and those have been effective, and you know we're we're now in a very different polling universe, I think, um, for for the conservatives. And you know, credit here, I think, has to go to Polyev and and the strategists around him. Yeah, I don't think he could be more pleased, uh, regardless of uh, where they're standing. I mean, this has gone as good as his you know first year and a half or so in the job can be. So the ultimate question here, and let me end on this one, Lisa. Do the Liberals make it through 2024? You know they want to. Time is their only ally at this point in time. They need as much time as possible to try and reverse their fortunes here. Can they make it last through 2024? Technically, we could still be two years out from an election. Do they make it through the next year, do you think? Well, you know, time isn't their only ally. The NDP is their other ally. True, very true. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that that's probably critical here. The NDP is not in a good position to go into an election. They're not doing well in the polls. They don't have money to fight another election. They need time just as much as the Liberals do. And so we see, you know, the, the agreement between the Liberals and the NDP, the supply agreement, all of a sudden the NDP isn't being hardline about uh, going ahead on pharmacare. Sure, take some more time. We won't defeat the government. And so I suspect that you know, the, uh, the the self-interest of the Liberals and the NDP around postponing an election really does mean that we're likely to have the election as scheduled in the fall of 2025. And as much as people in Alberta would like a way around that, there isn't one, right? If the NDP and the Liberals decide we're going to do this, there's really, it's almost like a majority government at that point. There's nothing really that the Conservatives can do from the outside. Absolutely. Um, you know, the numbers simply don't line up there. And uh, so I think it's it's going to be a, a waiting game. Yeah, and we'll wait and see. And we'll talk about it in 2024 as well. Uh, Dr. Young, once again, thank you so much for all your help over the course of the year. And like I say, we'll chat in the new year. And until then, Merry Christmas. I hope you have a wonderful holiday. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.